Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 108. Uh, Today is a a fun day for me because I literally just recorded 107 uh, yesterday, so everything's kind of fresh on my mind, and and I'm excited to to bring today's guest with you because I feel like we're building a little bit of momentum here. Uh, Today's guest is Ed Miller, and he is currently the program director for Overcoming Job Transition, a Tulsa faith-based ministry helping the unemployed and underemployed gain job search skills. He's also a sales consultant and trainer with over 30 years of sales and marketing experience. He has a passion for coaching and training and seeing others succeed. He says his greatest joy is helping others fulfill their potential. Ed, along with his business partner, just launched Sales Ethics, a faith-based sales training practice bringing servant salesmanship or golden rule selling to the market. Ed, welcome to the podcast. If you can fill in some of those gaps, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and, and say hello. Yeah, good afternoon or good morning, Evan. Uh, thanks for the time. This is great. Um, so the things you didn't mention, and people are dying to know, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> originally from Chicago. So that makes me a, a diehard Cubs fan. And uh, so I have a long-suffering uh, history of baseball in my background, <laughs> which is good for sales because you get told a no, you get told no a lot in sales, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and uh, my wife and I uh, live here in Tulsa. We. We met elsewhere, and uh, our daughter now lives in the Dallas area. She's in sales as well. My dad was in sales, so I guess I, it's uh, in the DNA to help people mm. with their sales skills. And that's what uh, job transition is sometimes about, is helping to sell yourself to that next opportunity. Uh, love Tulsa, and uh, really glad to be a part of the, uh, the conversation today. Absolutely. Well, we had Russ Smith on a little while back and he talked about OGT briefly because it was something that was near and dear to him because it was actually something that he went through. Uh, But you are the actual program director for OJT, Overcoming Job Transition, which it's one of those things where you don't think about it until you need it. And then when you need it, you're glad it's there. So if you can, if somebody's tuning into this and they're finding themselves in that that position where uh, maybe they've just been laid off or maybe they're feeling like they're underqualified for uh, or underemployed for some of the things that they're wanting to do and they're wanting to get to that next level or wanting to apply for a job maybe that they don't think that they can get but they need uh how does oj ojt come in and partner with them and, and kind of give us a little bit of an overview of the program yeah thanks thanks for the opportunity um ojt is about a 10 year old ministry it started out in uh, uh first united methodist downtown tulsa and russ was uh, a beneficiary of job transition coaching back then. And uh, the the idea of OJT is we're a come alongside group of volunteers. All of us that volunteer have been through job transition. And uh, job transitions are really difficult thing for someone to go through. If you have never had a layoff or never been out of work, you've had 20 
years maybe at the same company and all of a sudden you're told there's downsizing or reorganization or restructure, it can be a real kick in the teeth and hard to overcome. And so we have a heart for those people in those situations. I've been through job transition myself uh, and the, the, the group OJT was helpful to me. And so as a part of uh, my, my gratitude, I wanted to give back and uh, pay it forward to some degree. So we come alongside with a group of about 20 different volunteers. I get the honor to uh, lead our Thursday morning sessions, which are the primary uh, meeting that we have. The volunteers come from all walks, all backgrounds, all careers. And we are there for do, to do three things, equip, encourage, and empower those people in job transition. And as you mentioned, Evan, it can be someone who is laid off uh, and unemployed or someone who's underemployed. Maybe someone's taken a temporary job or something um, that's you know not quite their skill set just to get by. And we can help them in a number of areas. And I'll kind of wrap this little overview up with talking about four areas that we specifically help in our coaching. We help with resumes. Um, it, you know, if you go out to get a resume written uh, on the market, on the internet, it's going to cost you north of $350. And we'll do that totally gratis. Um, wow. We help with interviewing skills. We help get your LinkedIn profile fixed up. And then we're really good at networking. And that is how the next job is going to be found is not through job applications or job boards or indeed.com. You're going to find it through networking and we help in all those areas. Well, I love how we're talking about uh, kind of this, this very uh, impactful moment with somebody. And the, the second thing that you said, you, you encourage or you equip, equip and you encourage. And I feel like the encourage one is something that you may kind of blow past, but yeah. I think a lot of guys, when, I, when I'm thinking about guys, but probably guys more than girls, but guys tend to put their identity into what their job is and what they're doing. And so that role of encouragement is really, really important. What does that look like? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to kind of see what the approach is on something like that, because I feel like that's one of the most important things. Yeah, that, that, that you're right. Um, for men, it's a very difficult thing to lose a, a job because what do you do when you go to a barbecue or you go to the ball game or you're out with some new uh, new uh, guys you're meeting? And the first question is, what do you do? And mm -hmm. if you're not doing anything right now, that can be a really hard question to answer. So it does affect um, self-esteem and confidence uh, for men, I think, a little differently than it does for women. So the encouragement part is us coming alongside and we, we have one-on-one -on -one coaching we, uh, I, I personally lead a group of accountability partners in the job search. Every Monday morning, we meet up at a local shop, uh, coffee shop, and uh, I ask them, how are you doing in your job search? What help can I give you? It's hard for guys to ask for help. We, you know, we don't want to ask for directions from our wives, much less ask for job help. So <laughs> we, we want to come alongside and, and put the question out there for them so they don't have to be asking we put it out there and say, how can I help you? And so the encouragement comes in many ways. I mean, it's, it's groups that we have together. It's the meetings. We have wonderful speakers that are uh, well-renowned speakers in the, in the region that give encouraging messages, um, or sometimes it's job, it's sometimes it's the tools. Just learning how to, just learning a new tool can be a very encouraging moment for a job seeker who hasn't had to look for work in 10 years. So the encouragement looks a lot of looks looks different on every situation, but I know uh, sometimes I come alongside someone's prayer. Uh, sometimes it's telling them that I went through it. 
Um, sometimes it's finding that next person who has the same background as them and went through it. It's uh, knowing you aren't alone. Yeah. Well, I think that gives hope. And I think that's one of the things that, that when you're in that situation and it just feels like everything's been uh, knocked out from underneath you, when you can hear those uh, speakers and you can get that, uh, it sounds like you were talking about empathy. You're empathizing with some of those guys that have had some of those struggles. And it really helps too. like a guy like Russ. I mean, his struggle was like about a, a six year struggle from kind of bouncing from job to job, if I'm remembering correctly, to the finally yeah. to the point where he is now. And now he's like, hey, how can I help out other people that are in similar situations? Because I know what that feels like. I know what that pain is. I know what it means to uh, go file unemployment and go through that yeah. line. And, 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 and when you feel like you have the skills to do something, you just don't have a place to be that can be very lonely. And so having that support group really, really helps. Yeah, it is. You know, when, when you read the, when you read Psalms, you know, David walked a path a lot of us have never walked before, but we read Psalms to know what it's like to follow down the path someone already went through. And that's what we try to do with our with our, our participants. You know, we've been there. We know what the rejection feels like when you filled out 15 applications or you had 12 interviews and didn't get the job. And so we can really empathize with them. And, and, and Russ, you know, to his credit, he talks a lot about, I went through different job uh, opportunities and it looked like I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't make my mind up. And sometimes uh, it's, we make poor decisions. I'm not saying Russ did, but sometimes job seekers do. And knowing how to work through that is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you did mention uh, LinkedIn and, and resume building. Um, I know that LinkedIn is is definitely one of these things that's kind of a growing thing. And you talked about networking too, where where all these things intertwine. What are some of these things that we should be looking at for our LinkedIn profile? Like, obviously, if we're in a role right now where we're not a part of a layoff, uh, it's always easier to kind of work on that stuff now than maybe further on down the line once once you uh, do get laid off or if that does happen. So, what are some active things we can be doing to our LinkedIn profiles and even to our resume that uh, we can kind of chip away at now just to kind of continue to strengthen? that even though we we may not think that we need to yeah so uh I, i'm going to give you a 3c recipe for this and it's a and it kind of weaves a lot of that into one one uh i don't want to say formula but what we when we see with our job seekers is a following first is the first letter c is to concentrate so mm -hmm. figure out concentrate on what you do best what is your story what have you always been called upon to solve in your work situations. You know, all of us at work are there because of some value we bring. I'm in sales, so I bring revenue and new customers. Maybe an engineer brings new designs. Maybe a purchasing manager uh, helps reduce cost. Uh, so concentrate, first of all, on what you do well. The, 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 so when you think about LinkedIn, talk about on your LinkedIn profile, those things you do well and are known for. Uh, LinkedIn is your billboard. It is your mass media advertising vehicle. And it's not your job description. It is not a social media version of your resume. Your LinkedIn page is you're telling the world, here's the value I bring and here's what I've done at places I've worked before. Mm -hmm. um, the second C is to um, communicate. So here we talk about building your stories and 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 getting your, your um, uh, resume accomplishments put together so that when someone asks you that, in, that question always comes, tell me about yourself or mm -hmm. what do you do? Or tell me about your last job. 
you've got ready-made stories that you can say, well, my last job, I grew sales by 50%, and here's how I did it. People are sometimes tongue-tied when they get that question, and it can be asked in an interview, or it can be asked in the middle of a grocery store. You know, networking happens everywhere. Mm. Uh, networking can happen when you're at your kid's soccer game, or it could be in the gym, or it could be when you're in, my wife networks in the grocery store, and, and she's a working professional, and she'll still network. So concentrate on your, your, your areas of, of expertise, communicate them, and then lastly, coordinate. So the third C is to coordinate. And this is the networking piece of it. You've got, you, you concentrate on what your value is, you find ways to communicate it, and then you coordinate your network to put you in positions to help get you to that next opportunity. So LinkedIn is a, a way to do that. You know, a lot of, uh, I'm going to say more seasoned job seekers aren't so comfortable with social media. Uh, mm -hmm. LinkedIn is a safe way to meet with people. And if you're not an extrovert, and I happen to, I think I'm more extroverted than not, I like to meet people. I like to get out and ask questions. I'm the one that's usually starting the conversations. Um, but if you're not that way, LinkedIn is a way to do it and then have a relationship with someone who can network you into opportunities. So we want people to take their LinkedIn and use those three C's, communicate, what you do, what your concentration is, and then coordinate amongst your LinkedIn network. We advise everyone to have at least 500 LinkedIn connections because mm -hmm. that's a like a tipping point uh, at, to where you can get enough information out there and enough critical mass to propel your job search. Absolutely. Well, I got to ask the follow-up question to that, and that is, what, are, what should we not be putting on our LinkedIn? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good questions. Do not put on your, don't put on your weekend parties. Uh, yeah. Do not put pictures of your dog. Um, you keep it entirely professional. Uh, it's not Facebook. It's not Instagram. It's not Twitter. And those are all great social media uh, venues um, for different purposes. Um, your LinkedIn uh, profile is professional and you can post articles about um, uh, business developments you've seen or articles you've read that are in your area of expertise. Or um, uh, if you went to a networking event or a conference, those kinds of things are just fine. Pictures of the conference are great, but you do not put on there your vacation photos. Uh, your picture has to be a professional headshot it should not be a picture of you and your significant other with half the picture sliced off in Photoshop. You need to make <laughs> it look good because this is your billboard. And if you want to get a professional job, that's great. If you're if you're an actor, then the then the then the po the photo should look like you're in in theater. If you're an accountant, it should look like you're in accounting. Make it match the pro the persona matches the profile. Mm. Well, uh, thank you for that. I, I, I feel pretty good about my LinkedIn profile now. <laughs> I think I've checked most of those boxes. But one of the things that I, I do want to talk a little bit about on, is kind of the other side of this too. Because uh, you know, hopefully the people that are listening to this podcast are in leadership roles and they are in organizations. And sometimes they're making you know, the, the decisions of what do we do next and, and, and you know, how can we grow. But they're also the people that are making the decisions of who do we cut? How do we, how do we you know, save money and, and, yeah. uh, how, how do we, how do we help some of the people? Maybe we got good people that we got to let go 
and we don't yeah. like the fact that we have to do that, but we have a responsibility to them. If we know that this is going to happen, uh, OJT actually comes in alongside an organization uh, too to help them re- uh, help them place people in other areas. So can you talk a little bit about maybe the other side of if a company is at a point where they do need to make a layoff, uh, how OJT can help in with the networking and everything else? Yeah, we, we sit in kind of a very interesting um, confluence of, of, of spheres, Evan. And, 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 we, and so I want to make sure that, we, you know, we don't step on uh, the toes of the professional uh, outplacement firms uh, and executive search firms because we are a, a uh, uh, we're non, we don't charge a fee. We're, we're, we're free uh, faith-based yeah. ministry. But for, for small companies uh, is my first response. For smaller companies who maybe have to downsize or let someone go, we can be an outsource that they can direct an employee to uh, if they don't have access to executive placement or outplacement services. And there's excellent services here in Tulsa for the for those kinds of situations. Um, so if a if a if a business owner um, uh, unfortunately needs to uh, you know let go of someone for whatever reason, they can certainly refer them to us. Our website's ojttulsa.org. They can get all the contact information they need there. Um, if, if it also, if it's a company who's hiring, we can be a good source of candidates. We have a, a mailing list of over 1,300 uh, active names um, and a LinkedIn group of almost 1,000 people that are professionals that are very accomplished and very experienced. And we want to be that source of referral so if someone says, I'm looking for an accountant or an engineer or a sales guy, you know, we can we can help with that. So we can we, we kind of sit in the middle of all that. And it's 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 a it's a little it's a little um, I don't want to say tenuous, but it's a little balancing act because uh, some of the excellent, excellent outplacement firms uh, here in town are good friends of ours and they come and support us and they speak to our participants. And so I want to make sure that we're not we don't compete with them. We're like we're, like, we're a come alongside ministry now. In all in all candor, most executive outplacement firms that companies will hire usually have a sixty or ninety day contract with the uh, with, with the company who is outplacing people. And so, if the person is run through that entire process and has nowhere else to turn, they certainly can come to us. Absolutely. So I hope I'm answering the question. You know, I want to, like I said, I want to be careful because we have really wonderful friends in the industry. But at the same time, you know, we provide a service that sometimes they don't. Yeah. I, if, if anything, I want to kind of get the gears turning in people's minds. If they are in that situation where they do need to lay somebody off, that they are thinking about just like how can we save money and help the company, but think about the employee as a person and help give them some tools to launch them into yeah. their, their next their next job. Yeah, and they can, and they really can take advantage of us for that. And I would suggest they just get a hold of us and um, and steer people our way, or give us a call and ask. You know, I, I may have to go through this. What do I need to do? Or uh, you know, how can how can you help me? You know, with that, we're happy to have that conversation. Fantastic, Ed. I want to uh, shift a little bit uh, because we talked a little bit about. Um, the uh, the new business that you launched, the sales ethics uh, business that you launched too. So so I want to take an opportunity to, to talk about that as well because uh, for me, so a lot of the things that I've done in, in my my history and my my uh, my work history has been sales, and so 
uh, as I'm kind of reading this and 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 seeing faith-based sales training, practicing bringing servant salesmanship or golden rule selling to the market. So I, I'm kind of chewing on that a little bit, and and I wanted to kind of get your perspective on it because I love the I love the idea of it, but I, I think sometimes when you think of sales, you think of sales being something where you're persuading somebody. Yeah. To do and so I feel like that kind of flies in the face of um, like a servant salesmanship or even in some cases a golden rule uh, to selling in the market. So so how do you balance those two things? Because I feel like that's something that we all maybe want to strive for, uh, but in a competitive marketplace and in a situation where we are in a persuading position, what role does that kind of play in the entire conversation? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Evan. I appreciate the opportunity. So, you know, the salespeople and the sales profession tends to have a rather poor reputation overall because it's known as, you know, some people are, you know, uh, going for the close and there's that some sales training classes are, are teaching people always be closing and and it's all about getting the deal done and uh, achieving quotas and all those kind of things. And uh, my business partner and I, a guy named Dan, Gallahan, um, he actually is the the author of the material, uh, but uh, we've relaunched the business this last spring, as as you mentioned. And and the whole point of golden rule selling or servant salesmanship is to say, what does my customer really need, and how do I serve his or her needs versus mine? And I've been in sales for thirty years, and I've had those sales meetings where the boss comes around and says, "You're going to bring this sale in no matter what," or here's your quota, you better achieve it. And it can lead to poor decision-making on the salesman's part if they're always looking out for what they need to sell versus what their customer needs. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, sales ethics is based on the notion of putting my customer first. And if I understand their needs, then I can give them a better solution that matches what they're looking for. And I'll, I'll wrap the, the intro up by saying, um, we, here's a really good example of what this looks like. A lot of times people would say, did you close the deal? Did you close the sale? Yeah. Did you, did, what are you going to close this month? And we don't use the word close in our training. What we use is the word decide. Did your customer decide? How do you help them decide? Did they decide to buy from us or not? And if, if the customer is in the position of making a decision, then it has a different connotation and a different you know feel to it because I've had lots of customers in my career who decided not to buy today but bought tomorrow or next month and the notion of the word close suggests I'm going to close this deal and move on to the next but mm-hmm. that's not building a relationship and if someone says they're a relational salesperson or they like to sell through relationships then they're going to work to help their customer have the best information to make the best decision. And sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. That's the nature of the beast. But you help your customer and that's how you get a true relationship going. Yeah, so I I, I love the relationship side of it too because in the industry that I'm in, they actually buy from us multiple times. It's not like a, a thing where they're going to buy a house and they're, they're probably not going to buy it again for you know, 10, 15 years or, or something like that. This is literally like almost a, a weeky, a weeky, a weekly decision that they have to make. So, so we're kind of forced, uh, to, to do relationship selling. Um, 
but I believe that it's it's that's the more difficult one to do because you got to do what you say you're going to do. You're going to earn that trust. You got to have the customer's best interests in mind in order to do that. And I, the result is a long-term relationship with your customer to the point where we even talk about our, our customers and even our vendors are our partners as opposed to being somebody that just buys from us. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and, so, and so in some industries, and I've worked in these industries, you know, you talk about your customers like they're a target. Well, mm. like, you know, I'm not hunting anybody. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm looking to, yeah, I'm looking to build a rapport with someone. And I, I have a customer here in town that for six months asked me tons of questions. I would give them solutions and suggestions. They never once bought from me in those six months, but slowly over time they did, because as you just said, you build a relationship with them and they, and they realize that I have their interests at heart. And then that relationship and that, that, that pattern leads to trust. Mm-hmm. And you want to be that trusted partner. That word you used is great because if you have a partner in whatever you're doing, a, a partner in, in your personal life or in business or, or even in sports, a, a golf partner, you trust them. And that's what we're trying to bring through this training mentality. And, and it, really, it, 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 it really keys off of the verse in Romans where it says, do not be conformed, but be transformed uh, in your thinking. And so we want salespeople to think about their roles differently than um, is normally taught. And, and what we find is that right now in, the, in, in 2018, in our, in our business culture, most companies do not offer any kind of sales training unless they're the, the biggest companies, you know, IBM, AT&T, Xerox. And I used to work for a Hilti here in town. Uh, they offer great training. But if you're working for smaller companies, they don't have training classes. So you have to come already equipped. So that's where we're trying to help people that, you know, never had the chance to hear some of this and put it to work. Absolutely. And a big part of that too, you said culture, and we, we talk a lot about culture on this podcast, the importance of a good company culture. And something that we're striving for on our end in, in my company is to get to the point from a culture standpoint that sales become the byproduct of the relationships as opposed to the um, the end result. Yeah. And so as, as you kind of uh, approach it a little differently, and it has to come from the top down, uh, and I'm and I'm still experimenting with it. This is kind of where I want to go. Like right now in my VP of sales office, there's a sales board. And so every day I go and I kind of see what the numbers are. Yeah. Um, but what I want to do as a culture is to start celebrating testimonials, start celebrating when a customer uh, is is saying that they were so blown away by the service that they uh, they were referred to us because somebody told them, hey, you got to go talk to this company because this company will really take care of you and really put those emphases on those things, whether it be a review, whether it be um, a referral, any of those things right there. If it, and, and as a company, celebrate those things in addition to the sales because you do have to have the sales but you celebrate some of the other uh, intangible things and you put an emphasis on that. And I think that yeah. that actually drives sales more as opposed to just get get it closed, get it closed. Yeah, you, you made a great observation, Evan, that you know the, the sale at the end is exactly that. It's the result of all the effort that went in before it. And if you measure and reward the activities on the front end, then the result is, is a foregone conclusion. So if you're, if you're building a habit of good activities at the front end, um, making good qualified 
conversations with your customer, having a right level of activity with your overall account base, having, you know, get, generating good thought out quotes or estimates or proposals, however you phrase the product or, or service you're selling. If you have all the right activities on the front end and, and they're truly taking into account what my customer needs and a problem that he has or she is trying to solve or the challenge then the the result is the result. You know, we're, we're, you know, I'm a big sports guy, so I like to think of it as I want to give my my player the best at bat possible by doing all the right things up front. Some, if you hit the ball out of the park or get an or get a hard hit line drive out, it's all good. Sometimes they fall in, sometimes they don't. But you can't always control that. But you can control you can control your activities on the front end and the way you think about your customer. Absolutely. I do got to put my, my my little skeptic hat on because I'm sure there's some people that are listening to this going, well, you know, if you're always doing what's best for the customer, then your company is not going to survive because, you know, what's usually best for the customers, they need it cheaper, they need it faster, and they need, uh, they need it now. But I think there's a balance in this relationship, uh, and it kind of goes back to the partner side of it, is that there is value in what you're doing and, and don't compromise on the value side of that. So yes, build that relationship. Yes, help the customer with what they need, but also make sure that when you're selling this or you're even pricing some of the things, don't always just think, can the customer afford this? Uh, Because you do need to have that value for what you do because otherwise it, it can be a very short business experiment for you and always cutting your pricing and always going way too far uh, over and above. I, I'm all for going the extra mile, but I think that we can get too far on the other side of the ditch as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a treating your customer and answering their questions with honesty, um, leads to those kinds of relationships that we want to have. And while, while, you know, customers want it, you know, as you, as you mentioned, usually in my career, they want it, they, like you said, they want it now, they want it cheap, or they want high quality. And the fact is you can't get all three in one situation and being upfront with the customer and saying, well, we do have the highest quality product and to achieve that, it's going to take these many days, or this is the, this is the, 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 the fair price for that. And some salespeople just honestly don't want to have that conversation that way because yeah. they can be a little difficult to have, but we believe once you get used to it, and you and you just have some experience with it. It's not. It really is easier. And so you know, uh, while clients and customers always want to think of it that way, that even even if if we kind of go down that path, even that's kind of adversarial. Um, in 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 a, if you play it out, well, I have to have it tomorrow. And the customer even approaches us thinking it's a win lose situation, and we want to suggest it's win win when everyone knows how we're going to deal with each other. Yeah. And I think it's important to put an emphasis on value. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. they're coming to you for a reason. They're coming to you because you are an expert in that field and you know, those things, there's a premium for that. Yeah. I think on the other side of it too, uh, when you have all of those things working together, um, if they try to maybe push you outside of 
kind of the timelines, the systems that you have, and they're trying to rush something, then that's where mistakes happen. So that, then you're in that definitely a lose-lose because you, you mess it up. The customer doesn't get what they want. And now it's costing you even more money. And, and, and you're, you're exactly right in all those examples. And, and the only way a person understands, salesperson understands those things is to ask the right questions. And that's really, and, and so, you know, sales inquiry, you know, appreciative inquiry is, is taught in lots of places, but sometimes it's always taught from the perspective of what can I, what, what can I dig up or uncover that is in my interest versus what am I uncovering that my customer is trying to solve? And so if we take one of those examples and say, okay, Mr. Customer, you need to have it really quickly. I understand that. Tell me why. What's going on at your end that drives the date? And let me see how I can meet it. And, and sometimes it means I can't meet it. And like you just said, we're going to be better off walking away amicably and then regenerating that conversation in a couple of weeks time to say, how else can I help you? And because, uh, you, yeah, as you mentioned, we don't want to be in a, in a lose-lose circumstance. That's, that's really awful for everybody. Well, I, I I want to touch on one more part of this um, sure. and just kind of get your thoughts on it too. So the sales part of it is like kind of the part that gets all the glory. It's the part that you know you're going out there, you're conquering, you're you're you're. There's a little bit of a thrill of the hunt to it, and then you get the customer, but maybe you've overpromised, or maybe you have you've kind of constantly stretched your team, the support side of the team, too thin to where they're not able to deliver essentially what you kind of said that you would do. Can you talk about the role of um, ethical sales on maybe the company side with with the people that actually support sales and, and make sure that they're the jobs are getting done and kind of the importance of uh, making sure that you are in communication with them and taking care of them too because if you sell it and they can't fulfill it then it's not really a sale oh yeah service delivery or product delivery is is uh, is uh, where rubber hits the road and we do so in our in our training program we actually handle uh, other roles within the company, all the way starting with the, the 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 person at the reception desk, all the way back through to service technicians and field technicians. Uh, you know, when when let's let's say we're selling a product, a physical product like air conditioning or or some office equipment, copiers or whatnot that need to be installed in an office building. Uh, the salesperson may have made the sale, and then a week later, here comes a tech to install it. They have the same obligation to think of the customer first, and the salesperson is uh, the tip of the iceberg in many cases. And and in our training, we talk about the fact that you're the one that has uh, made the sale, help the customer decide what to do, but there's a whole um, group behind you that makes this happen. So we we one of the last steps in the process we we coach on is follow up. Mm-hmm. And how do you follow up with your customer? And is it the customer service department or an inside salesperson or a field tech who's following up? And how do we help them be successful? Because as, as I think you mentioned a little bit ago in the in the, in the broadcast, uh, the referral doesn't always come from the salesperson interaction. Referrals and word of mouth usually comes from the guy in, you know, who's got his sleeves rolled up and he's, you know, installing it. That's when the customer is like, man, you guys were great, you know, and, and they can ask for referrals. The, mm-hmm. the, the technician can say, well, if you thought we did a great job for you, would you mind, you know, passing us along to some of your, your coworkers or, or friends and neighbors? That's where 
they have a big role to play in sales ethics and how we look at our, our customer through golden rule lens. Awesome. And thank you so, so much for sharing some of kind of the insight in that too. I always love talking about sales. And I think that, that definitely for the audience, it's, it's a lot of things that they can hopefully glean out of that and maybe implement. Uh, and I hope that they do implement uh, into their sales process yeah. and into, into their businesses. Uh, as I kind of told you, kind of leading up to this, I always give uh, my guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. This is really uh, your opportunity to speak to that next generation of, of business leaders. And, and through your journey through OJT and, and and through the sales training, the ethical sales training that you're talking about here, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you have to say, but I'm really curious uh, today, what's on your heart and what's what's your message to young business leaders? Yeah, um, I think for um, from an OJT point of view, I would just say that my, my on, on my heart is those people that are in job transition, um, you are not alone. There are plenty of us who have been through it before. Um, there is light on the other end, and I can tell you honestly that of all the people that we've helped, and we have helped over 4,000 people land a position wow. or career, no one stays in job transition forever. I've never seen anybody stay in our group forever. So that position is out there. God has a plan for you. And the job search you're on is a part of his plan for uh, for you. And so I want to make sure for people in job transition that you realize that there's and there's people out here who are willing to help want to help and uh you can your ojttulsa.org please get on the site there's plenty of phone numbers or contact information to um link up with us and i would just ask that you would do that and um we look forward to seeing you and helping you out and as far as sales ethics goes it's uh, salesethics.net and we want to help those businesses who want to help their customers and view their customers as assets and partners and uh, please check us out. Fantastic. And thank you so much for speaking to our yeah, speaking to our audience and uh, taking the time today to talk about all these different things. I think these are things that we need to think about, things, things that we need to constantly remind ourselves of and hopefully inspire us uh, to be better leaders and, and, and be better leaders. Uh, uh, employers in our communities. So listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the young businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.